morning, I want us to turn in the Word of God to Psalm 104. Psalm 104, we'll read just a few verses here. But I want us to think particularly on the theme that's being presented here that coincides with the verse that we started our service with this morning. In fact, the last number of words at the end of John chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, even as he is pure. Psalm 104, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then take our text from verse 31. Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord. O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with life as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. Now verse 31. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. I want us to think particularly on the last half of verse 31. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. There is suggested in those words a very important truth that you and I must understand and give heed to. And we will consider that this morning. I'm taking as my title, Holy is the Lord. You'll see that the title and the words of our text coincide as we go through our time this morning. Before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us and to use his word for his namesake. Father in heaven, now I would pray that thou would still us in the presence of our God. Lord, I would pray that thou would send forth the Spirit of God into this place to do a work amongst us that only he can do, a work that overrules the flesh, that puts to flight every devil, that silences all arguments of fleshly minds, Lord, we pray that thou will allow him to be the preacher in this time that shows us the Lord Jesus in the word of God, that shows us the nature of our God, that shows us our hope and the basis of our confidence, indeed being your own person. Lord, I pray that thou wilt move from heart to heart here this morning. Allow us to know the power of our God. Lord, we believe in thy word. We believe that it is the power of God unto salvation. We believe that it is a sword used in the hand of God 
to divide the various parts of man's being. And Lord, we pray now that thou will prove it to be so. To this end, I pray that thou will help me. Lord, thou dost know the need of my own heart for the moving of the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that thou will feed both preacher and listener alike with the bread that comes from above through the word of our God. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to consider this morning a very simple yet essential truth about the Lord. The truth is a first truth. It is a foundational truth. It is a truth that gives light to many questions about the Lord and His purposes. Not understanding this truth will lead to many errors. By error, I mean not only errors in doctrine, but errors in understanding all that happens in life. The truth that I refer to is this. God, in all that he does and plans, is morally pure and perfectly righteous and holy. Let me say this again to you. God, in all that he does, plans, and purposes, is morally pure and perfectly righteous and holy. It is this part of God's person and work that serves as the unending song of the angels and the cherubims in glory. Do we not read in the book of Revelation that they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Yes, this is the essence of their song. One important reason that I want us to dwell on this point for a moment is that fallen man and even saints because of the nature of their fallen and depraved hearts do not fully believe this of God. And I say here is an awful and perpetual battleground. J.A. Alexander in his commentary begins the consideration of this psalm by saying that verse 1 is the sum of the whole psalm. Everything that comes after verse 1 is an explanation of verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. The statement there again is that the Lord is glorious and clothed with majesty. This glory is seen in all the works spoken of in the following verses of this psalm. The primary example of that being, of course, the reference to creation and nature. These things all speak of the glorious nature of our God. But here's the key point. Creation, nature, and all of the rest of the works of God do not reflect the glory of God only, 
because they show his power or his ability to create um, beauty and display it or the genius of our God in creating complex creatures. All of God's works, says Alexander, are subservient, here's the point, to a moral and religious purpose. Everything God created shows the moral purity and righteousness of God. Now, I will tell you plainly, creation has lost much of the luster of that glory because of the fall, though it still shines through. In fact, the scriptures tells us that creation groans to be restored to that witness of the moral purity of its maker. Now, I'm going to suggest a point of doctrine. And I hope you will all stay with me. If you see the point, the application we will, that we will make will become vivid and sweet. God is completely pure and morally righteous in all his being and in all his ways. You say, well, of course. Well, yes, I want you to think, though, with me on this. God does everything that he does with a moral purpose and value. All that God does is utterly, wholly, utterly right and utterly good. Now you might ask, well, why is this a key truth? Why are you bringing us to this point? This seems to be somewhat obvious why are you bringing us to this point? Well, here's the, the thing that I want to consider with you today. Men suggest that there are things without moral relevance. It is neither good nor bad, they say. They will admit that some things are good. They will also admit that also there are things that are bad. But there is a category in which things are neither they are amoral. I suggest that this is absolutely impossible. All that is and has been made is made in, according to the moral purity of a holy God. It must reflect his hand. Do you understand what I'm saying? All that God does, every aspect of what he does, must show by its character the character of the one who did it. Well, you can just imagine somebody wanting to say, well, wait a minute. I don't, I, don't, I, don't quite buy, I don't quite buy that. That's not so. You mean, if I eat a hot dog, that there is some moral value in it? Ridiculous, you might say. How can eating a hot dog have a moral value? Consider this. 1 Corinthians 
Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Even what you might consider to be the most mundane, the simplest, the most unaffected by some particular law that is in existence, you would say, uh, that has a moral value to it? Yes, because of the hand of the Creator. Paul says that the simple act of eating or drinking has in it a moral value. Fallen man does not perceive this because the mind is darkened and cannot see it or will not look for it. But I would suggest to you this, that man before the fall saw the goodness and the purity of God in everything and rejoiced in it. But more than that, our scripture that we're taking as our text says that God sees the good, the righteous, and the purity in all his works and rejoices. Let me say this again. God looks at what he has done and he sees the moral purity of it, the perfection of it, the righteousness of it, the good of it, and he rejoices. Consider the statement about the true substance of God's delight. Psalm 33 and verse 5 says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. More than that, the scripture tells us that the Lord delights in righteousness for it is a reflection of his own purity. When he looks on the works of men that do after the will of God, the sight of the righteous is pleasing altogether. Psalm 11 verse 7. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. You say, what are you trying to say? Why are you presenting all this? This sounds like a, a deep theological truth. No, it really isn't. It's a very simple thought. But it's one that you and I must understand because it will affect us in every area of our life. We must, and here's my proposition to you, we must understand that because God is utterly holy and good, All he does can only be holy and good in his sight, and so he rejoices in that work. Now, the question that we would have at this point is this. And I'm going to try to make this very simple. The question at this point is, how does this affect me? What possible application can this truth make to my life and my everyday existence? Why is it so important to keep this in my mind? Well, I have four things I'm going to set to you. Very simple things. I want you to see that there is, in this truth, number one, a personal application. Here's a personal application. This truth is immensely important for each of us to understand. And knowing this can make all the difference in your whole outlook for your walk with God and your service to Him. You say, well, how so? I'll tell you how so. Point number one in this subject, in this, this heading. This means 
that God sees his work of saving you and rejoices. Let me say this again. God sees his work of, re- of saving you and rejoices. Well, you might say, well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing how our minds go. I can just imagine somebody coming forward and saying, well, you don't understand. <laughs> the Lord can never rejoice over me. I'm the one that is saved, or as the scripture says, so is by fire. The Lord cringes every time I approach his throne. I'm just an unworthy wreck, and I've seen a few mercy drops, and that just enough to save me. The Lord, I'm sure, will stick me off in some corner of heaven where I don't have to be under his sight, I'm sure. (coughs) How many Christians have that kind of mindset? You may not have said it exactly the way I said it, but have that mindset. God doesn't rejoice over me. Well, here's the truth, my friend. The Lord looks at the perfection and moral purity of saving you and rejoices. Let me say it another way. He rejoices because he sees purity. He sees moral purity in the eternal plan to redeem your soul. He, see, he rejoices to see the moral purity of the life of the Lord Jesus. <coughs> he rejoices to see the moral purity of the sacrifice of Christ on the tree. Then there is the perfect work of the resurrection and the seating of the Lamb at the right hand of God. What a joy it is to heaven. He sees these things. Beyond that, God sees purity in the work of the Holy Spirit in convicting you of your sin. We must add, He sees purity in the regeneration of your soul and the grace that flowed to your heart. He sees every work of providence that He has done and is doing. God sees purity in His bringing you home and rejoices for it is perfect and pure. It is right and good. It is glorious in holiness. And beyond that I would say this, the Lord our God sees purity and moral uprightness. He sees holiness in the wondrous nature of your union with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean to be cruel or rude. But I will tell you very frankly that your worthiness before God is a non-issue. It has nothing to do with your security. Do you hear me? Your own perception of your worthiness to God has nothing to do with your security with God. You will be saved because the Lord delights and rejoices in the perfection and the purity of the work of His own hands through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit of God. So I say this is a very important thing for you to understand. The Lord sees His work. He sees His purity. He sees the stamp of his moral character 
on all that he does and has done for you. And he rejoices. That is a cause of security. That should be a cause of rejoicing, actually, in your own heart. But also, second, the personal application is this. This means that God sees his works of providence and rejoices. The Lord considers all that he is doing. All that he is doing for you, Christian. All that he is doing in you. All that he is doing with you. He's considering all that he is doing to provide all things in Christ for you. And he is satisfied and rejoices in what he is doing. Well, you might say, well, I don't. I don't. I don't think he's doing what needs to be done. Let me ask you the question, who's right here? You or the Lord? The Lord says he rejoices in what he is doing for you, child of God. He is doing that which is right and perfect, even though your eyes and mind might not perceive it. It doesn't change the fact of it. And the Lord, for his own purposes, for his pleasure, and for your good, does what he does. There's a personal application to this truth. Well, I want you to also see, secondly, that there's a purposeful application. There's a purposeful application to this truth. And at this point, I would like for us to consider the thoughts and purposes of God. Psalm 19, verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord, or we might even say the thoughts of the Lord, the purposes of the Lord, are true and righteous altogether. You say, well, what does that mean? It means this. There never enters into the mind of God a thought that is not right and holy and moral and good. All that the Lord thinks, all that the Lord purposes, all that he plans is pure. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, a verse that you know well, maybe even have memorized. The Lord says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. We also have to admit that not only does the Lord bring us to an expected end, an end I would say expected more by the Lord Jesus than by us because our understanding is faulty. But beyond that, we'd also have to say that the thoughts of God transcend all that man can ever think. Psalm 40 verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Also, you know these verses, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. So what does this mean? What does this mean? The thoughts, the plans, the purposes are greater than whatever I could put my mind or heart to. 
but that they are pure. Well, this. The Lord's thoughts are his word. The Lord's thoughts are his word. He rejoices then that the word is given. And he rejoices that the word of God will be done. So what's the application to that? My my point is this. You can rest. God sees. God remembers what his thoughts are. He knows them to be pure and holy and good and just. And he rests and rejoices. Therefore, child of God, when you take the word of God to yourself, when you read it, when you ponder it, when you meditate it, you too, then knowing that's the character of the word, can rest and rejoice in your own heart. Just as God rested after creation. When he looked at it and saw it and rejoiced and said it is all very good, so you may have the same conclusion about the word of God. But also this. Not only are the thoughts of the Lord in his word, but the Lord's thoughts attend prayer. The Lord's thoughts attend prayer. The Lord is in absolute holiness, has thought and promised that he will answer, hear, and do what is needed because of prayer. The prayers of his people. Well, you say that, preacher. You say that, but... You know, why does he not answer me? Why does God not answer me? Let me just suggest to you one little thought here. I can't give you all the answers because I don't know the purposes and mind of God. But I can say this. Rarely, rarely are the prayers of saints one-dimensional. There are many parts to every situation. And the Lord will answer in a way that is much higher than you are able to think. What you ask of God may have just one idea or one view involved. Whereas the Lord says, now what you're talking about, what you're asking, that what you're seeing has far deeper, far wider ramifications than just your one idea or one perception. But the Lord says he rejoices in his works. The works that has been given through the extending of his word and the works that attend to his promises concerning prayer. Well, I come to a third point. Not only is this a statement that has a personal application and a purposeful application, it also has a predictive application. How will the purposes and plans of the Lord possibly be known? Or we might even ask you this. In a day as dark as this. Does anybody here think that we're not in a dark day? Well, how is it then that the plans and purposes of God can be seen in a day so dark as this? Again, I would point you out the words of our text. Look at it with me. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He shall. There's not a measure of doubt here. This means that the ways and the schemes 
of evil men and devils cannot keep the Lord's work from not only happening, but occurring in a way that is perfectly in line with the delight of the Lord. Even though you have, as it seems, countless numbers that are lining themselves up as the enemies of God, every one of them is utterly powerful. You, could, you can't have a number so great that it would overrule the purposes and plans of God. So what does this say to you? What's the message to you about that simple point? I would just... The point is a question. Knowing this, is it right for you then, child of God, to get all flustered and upset that evil struts itself as if everything is owned by evil? Is there a place for you to get all upset and all worried and all entangled with care when you see evil strutting itself? The Lord shall rejoice in His works. That has a predictive element to it. And I say to you, child of God, when you find yourself wanting to get flustered, take yourself to God. He rejoices in his works. You can too. Well, my final thought is this. We have then forth a potent application. There is a potent application. If we know that the Lord is and will rejoice in his works, does that not give us hope for two things? First, that which we do for the Lord's sake will be used for his glory. If we know that the Lord will rejoice in what he has set forth as his plan, will we not also be able to rejoice that we will be able to be used for his glory? Now, we may not see all that he is doing, but we certainly can rest in this prospect, can't we? I just don't see how this is being good. Well, the Lord sees it. And the Lord rejoices in it. That gives me a confidence. That I can be used for his glory. And second, our seeing of the face of the Lord Jesus in glory is assured. If I know this, there is a powerful hope. And then we might just ask ourselves, is there any question to this hope? If there weren't, would the Lord rejoice? If there was a question about you actually being brought home to glory, who has faith in Christ, if there was a question about that, would you read that the Lord is rejoicing over his work? Well, I say there's a power in this truth, a power that comforts, a power that assures, a power that allows you to rest. So, I conclude by asking a question. Why bear this in mind? Why ought we to bear this in mind? 
Well, my question comes back to this. What is the first and great commandment? Do you know what the first and great commandment is? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Yes. What's our number one catechism question? What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to what? Enjoy Him forever. For you to honestly and in reality fulfill that command you must know him as he is you must know him as he is when you know him and you have this truth about your God in your mind then you can love him for who he is that is exactly his desire. That's the reason for that command. <coughs> but also this. So you can see the purity of what he has done and is doing for you. As you keep this in your mind. And I said this is a first truth. This is a foundational truth. This is where we start our thinking. If you believe that God is as he says he is, as we see presented in this verse, then you will understand more clearly and more peacefully what God is doing. You will rest more. Think upon your God, or as the hymn writer says, stayed upon Jehovah. Yes. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. May the Lord allow his word to continue to speak to us for his name's sake. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, now we would pray that thou would bless what we have considered today. We pray that you will help us to see that our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is not in what we do or have done, what we believe, what we understand. Our confidence, our hope is in the Lord. Will we consider who you are and that, the, that you are in all your ways, pure and holy, and you will be pleased with all of your works so we rejoice with you Lord seal the good of this to our hearts allow the spirit of God to continue speaking to us for Jesus sake we pray in his precious name Amen Amen